Welcome to Chasing Possible, a podcast where I sit down with ReliQuest founder and CEO, Brian Murphy. And as we go through the story of ReliQuest history, each episode is designed to give you a look into the mindset we've relied on to make security possible. Now let's go get it. 2012, where are we at from employee standpoint, customer standpoint, revenue, like like how's ReliQuest doing in 2012? Yeah, we're we're um we're 20, 22 people. Um we at that point that year we were gonna do about six to six and a half million, somewhere in there. Um what I'll say, we noticed, we started to really notice things slowing down in that contracting world. The margins were getting compressed even tighter, and we were really recoiling back into that information assurance work, chasing a bunch of crazy stuff in the commercial satellite world. There's just groups out of Miami we were going down and talking to, um, uh, groups in other countries we were working with. And so we were we were really searching um, come 2012, but we kept coming back to this just information assurance piece and uh, it just kept making sense. And so it was 2012 when, was that the year that we decided we're going all in on information assurance? It was, um, you know, it, it wasn't probably till later the year that we made the final shift. I mean, the funny thing was, is, um, you know, a lot of people know that Joe Partlow is the older brother of my wife, Renee. And so um, we would go down to Fort Lauderdale and see them. I think Ryan and Reznor, um, you know, were just born, I think. Uh, they're a year apart of Parker. Yeah, so they're a couple of years old at this point. And uh, twin boys were going down holidays, Labor Day. Um, and I think it was either Memorial day. I think it was Memorial day of 2012. We went down, uh, Joe was, was working for a, uh, online auction company that worked with car dealerships and had some tech. And I was telling him about all the IA work and he was telling me just, you know, he's always been in the hacking community and, and, and always into, um, cybersecurity. And so he's kind of talking about the commercial application and how they use it. And that's when the conversation really first started, um, with Joe is like, Hey, what you guys are doing, there's just, you know, we, we can do it on a much bigger scale. And we were saying, we were thinking then kind of stay on the military angle, but you know, I was really asking a ton of questions around, well, what does this look like? I don't, I don't know the military, like you need to have contracting officers and, um, a whole RFP teams to be successful in that world. And we were never going to be that, like, you're never going to compete with these giants, right? We could have, um, but it, one, I didn't, I didn't like it. Um, it wasn't really our world. I want to sit there and search databases for new orders that come out. And so I was just real curious about what it looked like, um, in, in the commercial world and funny, um, Elliot and I early in the ReliQuest history, when we were just cold calling everybody really before um, the business took off on the government side. I mean, we'd go down and there would just be companies we called on in, uh, in Miami. Some of them are our customers today and we were just, you know, begging for it work, but we'd crash on Joe's couch. Um, and, and, you know, he tells the story of Elliot, you know, coming over on a flying into Miami on a Sunday and we sat 
all day long and updated Salesforce until Renee got mad at me and said, you know, we had to let the guy eat. It was like eight o'clock at night. So, I mean, yeah. yeah, we did whatever it took back then. And so Joe was always around it. He always saw it from very early on. And, uh, that was a lot of our, our conversations when we got together as a family. So I was, we were always kind of talking business. Yeah. Did, did Joe join ReliQuest in this year, 2012? I want to say it's 12. Yeah. Um, I want to say he joined in 2012. I'd have to, I'd have to look it up. Um, should know. Actually, well, let's see. I think I saw on the TV today. Uh, so he joined in 2011 then, right? Yeah. Cause it was 11 year anniversary. So he joined in 2011. Um, and it was late in the year. So it was just practically, 2012. So he joined and then he moved to Tampa in 2012. So I think he joined in 11. Uh, and then he Got stayed it. in Fort Lauderdale to sell his house. He lived in this house a decade. Um, and, and, uh, we, we agreed that, uh, he asked me how much I could pay him. And I said, not much. And so this is another example where I'd cut my pay to be able to pay Joe. And I think he took about a 60% pay cut in what he was used to making and, uh, and moved in, in early 2012, rented a home and started working. So, I mean, that was the ultimate, the ultimate selling out, like the ultimate yeah. buying in, like, and that, that's part low. If anybody's ever met him, that that's Joe. Yeah. Take, can, can you just enlighten us on that conversation? I can't imagine one, brother-in-law family. I mean, he's been, he's been seeing you grow, right? I mean, obviously you're sleeping on his couch and doing stuff, but he he's seen the evolution. And then for him to have twin boys that are one, maybe at this point to, to leave a pretty secure job, take a 60% pay cut to, you know, people always say don't mix family and business, right? There's all these things that are like, Hey, don't do it, Joe. And he did it. And so I'm just curious, what was that conversation like to get him to come on board. Well, it's funny. He called me. Okay. He's like, look, I, you guys have something here. There's momentum. I want to be a part of it. Um, and I said, Joe, there is no way I'm going to your sister and telling her that you're, you're coming to work with a lot quest. Like just no way. I mean, I've been through, situations already by now where, you know, there are people that I knew that came to work for the company and for whatever reason it didn't work out. And those things are tough. It's tough on your family, it's tough on your friendships. Right. So sure. This is the ultimate risk. And, uh, we went back and forth for a while about it. And, uh, you know, pretty soon he's like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm resigning and you're either going to find a way to put me on you know, payroll or I'll figure out something else to do. And so he was, um, at the time he had built a technology, um, a, uh, a healthcare management tool for small doctors practices. He'd been coding it nights and weekends and, um, he's been building it with a friend of his. And I think what he saw was watching Elliot and I at the table and cold calling and hustling that that was the piece that he needed, right? He could build technology, mm-hmm. but he needed the, the yin for the yang. Right. And then that, that that's always been our relationship. You know, if he could build it, I'd find a way to run it and sell it. Um, if I could sell it and run it, he would find a way to build it. And I think that's, 
that trust and that observation that happened over those early days um, is why he was like, hey, I'm, I'm going to do this. So we got uh, Renee and Aaliyah to sign off on it. And uh, and off we went. I love that. That's a great story. As, as we kind of go through 2012 and, and wrap up, was there ever anything that you went out and sold that Joe couldn't build or the team couldn't build? Or were they like, what are you doing, Murph? We can't handle that. <laughs> like, was there any of those moments? There's a lot of those moments. I'd say <laughs> in 2012, a lot of what um, Joe and Chris Ellett would go out to, um, I think it was Stratcom conference in Nebraska, which is the cybersecurity government conference. And they'd go work the booths again, right? Joe would do the research and he said, here's the 10 companies that, you know, I think could be meaningful for us and we could do work in and let's go figure out a way to go get introduced to them. And that was Ellett's gift. And that's when we first started talking to ArcSight um, was that, that, you know, late 2011 into 2012. Um, and we had had some experience with some of the, you know, military contract we being around ArcSight was a widely used technology in the military. Uh, we had had some familiarity with it untechnical, just familiarity with how it worked and how it fit in. And, um, and so that's, that's, uh, you know, that's really the beginning. A lot of the, um, building the plane while we're flying, it comes in and starts in 2012. Right. And that's starting to sell that first project work. I think our first, cybersecurity project where it came in the, you know, more towards the beginning of that year. And it was Dallas Fort Worth international airport that Alec got on a cold call and, uh, Joe flew in and fixed their, uh, arc site installation virtually sight unseen. Um, he had, he had played with it before, but, um, but, but figured it out. The guy's, the guy's brilliant. He's, he's next level. So our first, our first cyber job company customer was the Dallas Fort Worth International Airport. I think so, yeah. Back in uh it was like late 2011 maybe in the 2012. And then just, from there it's a statement of work. It was just, you know, but I learned my lesson from 2010 on how to mark up work and 2011 how to mark up work so we could make money doing that. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then from that first one, like how, how much did it grow in 2012 or, or have we seen like, so this, see is the growth interesting. this is interesting DMAC and we get into this phase where I've always believed in focus. And so we're still putzing around or we're still doing some of that work that's depleting. And, uh, towards the end of middle to end of 2012, I shut down all the old lines of business. So you're still, you're talking about $6 million of business went 100% in the cybersecurity. And in 18 months, we were selling 10.4 million of the new stuff. Okay, so this will, I want to get on this point that wraps up through 2012. You you make the decision to shut down this line of business, which is 6 million. Yep, that was our whole lifeline. Once again, I go off payroll. You know, we have enough projects coming in still. Like we, we didn't sell any new business. We didn't, you know, yeah. we didn't, we stopped selling new stuff. But we had to go out and um, and and sell the new stuff to keep the pipeline going, um, to, so we didn't have any gaps. So you and I, we've talked a lot about the importance of being decisive, right? And you yeah. mentioned earlier, you know, years back, like one of your gifts is being decisive. What what is the process that you go through to make 
the decision? Like, I'm sure you have some process framework that you go through that you go, this is going to be the right thing. I'm okay shutting this side of the business down because I know we're going to do this. Is there a, a framework that you have developed at this point? Are you still developing it? Like, I'm just curious, how do you make tough decisions? Cause that's a huge, huge decision that impacts at that point, 20 to 22 people that are, you know, ReliQuest employees. How do you, what's your process? Um, I don't know that I have a, a process. It's probably a measure of pain, like, because I know that not deciding will get you more in more trouble than deciding, right? Like I, mentioned, um, I knew that that government contract work was not sustainable. We didn't have the infrastructure for it. Uh, they were really reducing the amount of money being spent downrange and overseas. The contracts were shifting. There's some acquisitions where some of our customers were bought and acquired. So it wasn't like we're leaving this like fruitful, amazing thing. Um, and when I looked at the security work that we were doing, um, in those military contracting days, I understood it. It just made sense. That was more like the language that I knew, you know, satellite communications and those things. I'm not, you know, that, that wasn't, um, something that was as, as intuitive. Um, I think you've got buy-in and confidence from Joe and, um, you know, Elliot was excited about it. Believe it or not, we, when we made that pivot, I mean, we had four or five people, just leave the company and thought we were crazy. And so we kind of took a dip in number of people that worked because they had to relearn something and start over. I don't, sure. I don't blame them. Right. Um, and uh, we had gotten into this kind of easy motion for hiring some of the stuff so they, they could count on their commissions. But um, yeah, we, we, we retracted a little bit and uh, I made the call. It was, it was more about, look, there's more opportunity where I'm going than where I am. So make the decision. Yeah. So I, I think about that. Like if four to five people left and, and at the time we had 20 to 25 employees, we essentially lost 20 to 25% of your workforce. Right? <laughs> like when you made that decision, uh, was that scary or just necessary? And you knew, Hey, some people are gonna have to take on more and let's just go get it. Cause we believe that this is the way, this is the path forward. It never feels good. You'd like to sit here and say, oh, no, I knew I was right, and I had it. No, I mean, anytime somebody tells you this isn't going to work and I'm out, you kind of think, huh. you know, you're not going to show it, but you on the drive home, you're like, man, you know, is this over? Is this not going to work, right? So yeah. um, it's, it's tough, but, again, it's less painful than not deciding. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, did you have the perspective – why not us? How good can we be? We talk about that a lot. Are you, has that been cultivated yet? I know this whole time we're chasing possible, but are you getting to that point where you're going, boy, I think we can be really good at this. Have you gotten there yet? Well, I knew we could be good. I mean, yeah. I knew what it was like to go from zero to where we are. So, and I was close enough to zero still, um, you know, now it'd be tough to think about going back to zero. Right. But sure. then you're close enough to zero um, that you know you can do it. And I've always kind of lived my life through the lens of, you know, how good can I be right. and why not us, right? And so um, there was a still very much a who's coming with me culture. I used to hang a poster in the back at the beginning of every year with a number on it and 
you know, this is the number we're going to get to and everyone signed the poster at the end of the year, that kind of stuff. So we, we did a lot of some of the things that we do now, we created, um, what we still use now, uh, the surge concept where we would, uh, pick themes and people would get on different teams. And I'd put like construction cones down the middle of the bullpen. And, um, you know, when I felt, felt like activity and volume was going down, I'd call a surge and, We'd all come in at seven in the morning and dial till seven at night, Monday through Thursday. And, and each, um, activity or, you know, meeting that you booked counted for a certain number of uh, points and it was teams and they dressed in different themes and they'd come in early and sabotage each other's computers. And you had tons of food around all the time and, you know, Mountain Dew and energy drinks. And then Friday at 12, we'd tally up the results and, I would always go and say, okay, last week outside of the surge, we had call it 22 pieces of activity this week in the surge. We had 62 same number of people. Now I know every week isn't going to be 62 can't be in a surge, but we know it's not 22, right? So it's just a way to kind of reset our minds and what's possible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of the things that we still do surges today, you'll hear, the word surge being used, um, in our BDR teams, our recruiting organizations. Um, it's how we build, built a lot of our training content early on. So a lot of those things are being introduced now. Um, just themes, like how do you keep motivating people to go a little bit forward? Like you got to realize like, um, sure. It's one thing that I made a decision, right? right? But I can't, I can't wobble. I can't sit around the water cooler and, tell Elliot and team like, Oh, what if this, what if that, right? Like you gotta, you gotta make the call and, and you have to run at it. You can't, you can't show any, um, any fear. Yeah. I was terrified. You just couldn't show it. <laughs> uh, we can go down that, uh, a long way, but we'll, we'll save that for a future year. Got it. What's the office look like? Where are we at in 2012? We're in the Kennedy building. So similar to where our Tampa West office is today, there's a, a building. I think it now has a khaki sign on the front of it, CACI. Man, it was an adult grown up space when we moved into that. It was like uh, 2,600 square feet, actual offices and a conference room and, you know, an elevator that didn't, didn't break down. And it was an old building, but I thought it was the most grown up professional thing that I've ever done. So we were there um, in that space and cool bullpen area, you know, we really, really were building, um, the culture of the company, um, at that point for sure. Yeah. So, uh, just to wrap up here, you know, in, in 2012, I think, uh, you know, it's cool to hear, yeah, you know, obviously about the first cyber job and uh, that we had with Dallas Fort Worth international airport. And then really curious to hear how, you know, moving forward in 2013, how the culture began to really began to shape shape itself you know and and i think that'll be the the place that that we had next so murph as always thanks for your time and uh you know can't wait to just learn more about the history of, of rely quest and how we got to where we are today appreciate you dmac looking forward to next time yep you got it <laughs>